Welcome to the Hobcast, a weekly podcast from Hobeck Books, an independent publisher of thrillers, crime, and suspense novels. Each week, we'll take you behind the scenes of what we do, the challenges and the triumphs, the bumps and troughs of building a new creative business in this pandemic world. We'll hear from the people who make all this possible, the authors, cover designers, and editors, and we'll have expert insights from our guest star interviews. Nothing is off the agenda on the Hopcast from Hobeck Books, as we combine trad values and an indie spirit. Hello, Hello. and welcome again to the Hopcast Book Show, show number 56. I'm Agent Hobart. I'm Rebecca Collins. And together we run Hobeck Books, UK independent publishers of the following four genres. Crime. Suspense. Thrillers. Mystery. I just wanted to see how deep I could go. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, you need a little bit more definition in the voice there. It was quite deep. We're talking about voices for a reason. It's our big theme this week. We're speaking to one of the UK's number one voiceover talents and the author of a wonderful book on the subject of narration and voiceover, Diane Perry. Uh, she is from the United States. She lives in London. She's on the move to Hampshire. <laughs> and she joins us for, it was a, another one of those conversations which we got carried away with because we were learning so much and enjoying it so much. So what we've done this week is we've recorded it for YouTube as well. If you want the whole of the interview, that's where you go. For this podcast, we're going to keep it a little tighter because people have fed, fed back to us and said, look, it's all very well. We love your show. Have but, they? Yeah, one or two. Oh, one I or haven't two. heard any. <laughs> Don't be, of course you have. Uh, we've decided to keep them a little tighter to around an hour rather than an hour and three quarters, which is what they've crept up to in recent episodes. Okay. So that's what we're going to do. So we'll get into the news in a moment, but Diane Perry is our guest this week. And I'm sure no matter what, you'll learn a lot from it because there's so much. It's, it's such a uh, fascinating uh, subject. The yes. voice, the emotional connection. How do you develop that and the importance of it in audiobooks? And in life. And indeed in life. That's right. It wasn't just about... There was lots of stuff about life. So art and everything. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No, it inspired you and, and you wrote about that in our weekly... Oh, sorry, daily diary, which we've been maintaining. So just to remind you that we are writing a daily diary of our lives this year uh, to reflect on for ourselves, but also we think to publish it. By the end of the year, or at the end of the year, will the, the year of the Hobeck, um, you know, empire, the the rise and rise of Hobeck will be charted, or the rise and fall. Who knows? Well, the rise and fall is is already been used, isn't it? Yeah, of Rome, uh, Roman Reginald Empire, Perrin. yes, yeah. <laughs> Reginald Perrin. <laughs> but uh, yes, yeah. I could just see you walking into the sea one day. Yeah, yeah, I'll just leave my clothes or on the, the beach. canal. Yeah, I might do it in Southwold. Seems like a good place well, to go. Don't go that far. Just go down the canal. Oh, I'm not doing that there. It's all mucky. It's yeah, but you, you, you don't care at that point. You're about to... I know, but there, I just don't think it's going to do it for me. I think I'd much rather do it more romantically by the sea. Anyway, anyway, the swans will probably break my arms by the time I get, you know, if I try and disturb them. Now, wouldn't their, that be ironic? Yeah, the signets. Anyway, welcome to the show. And we are, as ever, charting what it's like to run a creative business in 2022. So, officially, the pandemic was over in the UK, according to Boris Johnson oh, really? this week. Have you not seen? 
I don't look at the news. <laughs> oh, it's finished. I, well, at the end of the month, all restrictions uh, will be lifted. Everything. Everything? Yeah. So and we can run around naked with no masks on? Well, all of that. But, you know, there's still 65,000 new cases yesterday <laughs> uh, of COVID. So, you know, it's over. But, you know, I mean, who am I to challenge the word of our esteemed prime minister? Uh, someone who uh, lives in his country. Yeah. OK, but uh, that's the, the situation. Anyway, we, we, we should get into some news. And we've mentioned this before, but prices continue to rise in the publishing sector for paperback and hardback copies. And uh, I'm just reading in uh, this is from Publishing News, no, Publishing Weekly, rather, in the United States. Uh, Ingram Spark have been, they sent me an, an email this week, uh, Ingram Industries, and they are, you know, the principal print-on-demand supplier worldwide. And they announced that they would no longer be able to do expedited print runs, you know, like short, sharp, pay for the pay extra to get them done quickly, simply because materials are in such short supply, uh, paper particularly. And that um, has meant that they were now guaranteeing their, you know, you'll get your books in normal terms 10 days okay so it's so a lot slower than it was that's really slow isn't it and that's, yeah that's and we've been held troublesome up. for us well exactly because we we have used them quite extensively in the past quite you know the majority of our titles have you know the paperback copies have been done through ingram smart and they've held up one of our productions our you know one of our next books for how, um, how long is it going currently now? it's uh well if we're going to talk in business days it is exactly uh 10 business days now and they they told me it'll take 15 business days right so we suspect and look you know it's not great customer service we've used we're used to you know being able to order books and get them quite quickly and we need them for review copies so we can send them out to reviewers and bloggers 15 days effectively that's working days you're talking about a month longer than we we would well, expect. It, it would have been forty eight hours. So this is just the checking of the files. This isn't anything to do with printing. The checking no, of the exactly. files takes up to forty eight hours. That's what their website says. And now they've they've called it into a into a longer review process. Well, for this particular title, yeah. But I just think that that's a, emblematic of the fact that they can't actually produce the books, and so they're putting it down to we're going to check your files. That's what it feels like to me. Anyway, it does rock our faith in Ingram Spark. And we have had to take an alternative route, which is to go through KDP and Amazon and get pub and get preview copies done now, that way. We are very lucky because I, I'm not sure how long ago KDP started the system, but in the last few months, they uh, now allow you to print proof copies of a paperback before you publish it. They didn't used to. No. So this is a new development. And if it wasn't for that, we would have been in trouble. Yeah, we'd have to push back the publication title. date. As simple as that, yeah. you know, and and all the problems that that entails. So, look, I appreciate there's supply problems, but they are saying here that some print houses in America have already worked out the entire 2022 workload. There, there is no scope. There's no more capacity, and quite a number of of print um, you know factories have switched from producing paper and, you know, for for printing, you know, paper mills rather, 
to purely working on cardboard to satisfy the online shopping surge. That's where the money is. And it, I mean, when you told me this, I was quite surprised because you kind of make an assumption it's to do with Brexit or it's to do with um, supply issues in a sort of more... Uh, well, there are, there are supply issues because the raw materials aren't getting shipped around the yeah. world as quickly as Fuel they were. Fuel costs and things yeah, like that. all of that stuff, yeah. But to say that it's because they are making cardboard boxes for a particular very large online retail business. Yeah. Isn't it perverse that we're being forced to use Amazon because Amazon are consuming more, con- <laughs> more of the raw <laughs> materials? Anyway, that's where we are. So, um, yeah, I think the other thing they're saying, again, and we've said this three weeks in a row now, prices are going up in terms of producing the, the products. And so, therefore what people expect to pay for a paperback or indeed a hardback will have to go up. It'll either have to go up or there will be publishers who will no longer be able to print paperbacks. Yeah, or hardbacks. Just, and just go into e-books. Yeah, purely. That, I and think there, there that are, could happen. I think that's going to happen very, very fast. Mm. Um, you know, and that's not without its costs, but uh, the fact is that, yeah, you know, the, the general, it's, it's almost a generational thing. I think a lot of people love the feel of a paperback or a, or a hardback. Like me. Absolutely, you do. I don't even own a Kindle. No, you don't, but you use your Kindle app on your phone now. Only for submissions. Right. Well, the fact is that that, that model is broken in terms of what you would normally expect to pay is no longer economically viable. Well, the only way it is going to stay is if people, consumers, readers, these people who love the feel of paperbacks are prepared to pay more. God, it's a doom gloom already. <laughs> well, it, well, it's interesting, isn't it? Because, you know, I've got half a degree in economics and I used to love the sort of predicting behaviour side of it. So something happens in the economy that changes the model. How do people react? Now, the rational consumer will stop. If the prices go up, the rational consumer will stop buying it. But that doesn't always happen because we're not rational. We're emotional creatures. So this this sort of thing interested me. Will people pay more for the books? Because the publishers will inevitably put the price up to start with. Mm-hmm. Or will they stop buying books and then everything goes electronic or audio? Yeah. Well, audio books aren't cheap either. Um, no, and, but... and because, you know, it's again, expensive to make. But, uh, well, you know, this is what we're facing in 2022. So we'll see how that comes out. What have you got news-wise? Um, well, besides that one, um, again, we talked about this, about the literary agents uh, predicting the, the surge of feel-good fiction. Well, uh, there was another article this week about how romance has done really well since uh, the beginning of lockdown because people just want escapism. They want to feel good. They want love. <laughs> and I learned an interesting fact while I was reading this article. So Dilly Court, which I always see in Tesco, it's a sort of period romantic fluffy fluffy books um so i think i don't know if dilly court's the name of the author but the the dilly court aren't they everybody knows what i mean by dilly court the dilly court books yeah i for, yeah I mean, they're, <laughs> they're you know, on the very much the soft side of 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 cozy so this series the first book to get to number one was the 26th book yeah which i thought was astounding well, yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I was listening to something with Dean Koontz, who's a huge author. He sold 500 million copies of his books. And he's been going since 1967. But it took him 10 years and umpteen books before he had his first bestseller. Mm. And uh, he 
he purports, I mean, he says, look, that is really the nature of it. First of all, he took him 10 years to get his craft sorted out. But, you know, you, you just cannot just expect to go into the marketplace as an author and just nail it. It's very rare. It's incredibly I rare. I mean, you hear about the people of who course. do that. Of course. I mean, you know, it's a celebrated thing. It's like we always hear about the lottery winners because <laughs> for the, the millions of us who, who got nothing. get 10 quid. <laughs> not even that. I didn't get anything that week. You know, that's it, it sustains the dream. And we always, the, the media always gravitates towards either the, the thing that the salutary nightmare or the, uh, the fairy tale. What they love more than anything is the fairy tale turned nightmare. Oh, yeah, they do. They love a book two bombed. Bombed, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, or the, 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 you know, the multi million winning lottery winner who's now living in their car. Um, <laughs> You know, uh, it's it's there's plenty of. And the picture of them walking out the off license with dishevelled hair and a bag of bottles. Yeah, but I mean, (laughs) what 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 you're saying is that basically a lot of the uh, the current trend in publishing is around feel good. Yeah, and it's it's sort of almost it's proof of the theory. So before it was a literary agent saying this is what we think, and now the statistics are backing that up. Although you know, obviously with a lag, but. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, I remember having a conversation at London Book Fair when we went um, to Olympia and I met up with uh, someone I know pretty well, Imogen Cooper, who runs the Golden Egg Academy. And she's a you know insider within the children's book industry. And I asked her, what are, what are, the, what are people saying? Because they were going around. She was she obviously has developed a lot of authors through her company. Not me, because I sort of stepped out of it a bit and set up this. But um, she was saying back then that the trend was they wanted fun back in children's fiction, especially middle grade. Yeah, that was three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, exactly. And that's, you know, that's so they were signing up people for that. Now they're signing up people for different political reasons and, you know, trying to improve the diversity of the industry and all that sort of thing. So, mm. you know, there are these trends and these things emerge at things like London Book Fair. And so people then go away, the agents and whatever, try and find talent that matches that. Yeah, so projects. it kind of, they almost create the trends, don't they? Yeah, and it's like degree. fashion. It's it's like fashion, isn't it? I mean, that's, it's rare that a collection comes out without, you know, that, uh, you know, they talk about it's on trend, you know, that some designers can change the trend depending on what their collection is like in Paris or whatever else but it's really uh, it is that sort of shoal of fish thing where the, what you know an influence influential party within the organisation within the industry decides we're going in that direction and everyone else follows we're all lemmings basically yeah, a, bit, a bit like that well actually I don't think we are at Hobart because we no 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 not no no no, 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 no. I. I think no, <laughs> I mean, the, the nature of what we try to do is that we when we get a submission we're not thinking, well, what is this slot into the marketplace? And is this on trend or anything like that? We're thinking, is this a cracking tale? Did I enjoy reading it? Did I get to the end? And did I want more? And if you get that, that's what we sign. Talking of which, I have to give a little bit of a plug to one of our authors whose third book I've just read. And I raced through the second half. The only reason I didn't race through the first half was because I was so busy. So Saturday, perfect for reading. I read half of... Yeah, I was out of the house, so you didn't have me distracting I didn't have you distracting me. The children were quite quiet because we did park run in the morning, so they were all tired. And I had that feeling. It's called book hangover. 
A book hangover. I don't know if you've heard of that expression. No. When you finish a really good book and then it ends and you feel the withdrawal symptoms, you feel tearful, you just want to hide under your duvet. Before we go any further, that's great to hear about that book, but we ought to celebrate one of our published books, Blood Ross. (gasps) Yes. So one of our books. Karina Swan. Congratulations. Yes. She's won the Chill with a Book uh, premiere at Reader's Award. Which is fantastic. Which uh, So what that means is that there was a panel of readers and they had to sort of, um, I don't know exactly how the grading system worked. But, they, but if all three pick it. Well, they deemed, the... yes, they, so they deemed this book as exceptional. Right. And, and then it was, but the all award. three of them, it's like, the, you know, the buzzers at, uh, on Frick's Got Talent <laughs> or something. You know, if you get two of the three, you don't get the, the award. So you got the three. Congratulations, Karina. We're, we're thrilled for you. And I think we should do some, some sort of little promotionette. Um, well, we're doing some promotion. Yeah, I'm it, doing but, adverts but we should, and, you know. You know, do some, I don't know. We'll, we'll think about that. But anyway, that's wonderful. Always anything like that, endorsing our, our authors is fantastic. Oh, and, we love it. And, and um, I also want to say thank you to all of the Hobeck authors who congratulated Karina on her success. Yes, which, indeed. you know, this is all part of it. You know, we're all we're all successful as each other, effectively. You know, the more successful we are as a company or as individuals, the better for everybody else, and that's part of the philosophy. So, of course, I did a TikTok video about Karina's success. Yeah, of course <laughs> my, you did. My latest that's toy. That's your latest thing. Yeah, that's <laughs> been your part, busy part of the week. And, and mine's just been, I have been on public transport, traipsing up and down, trying to get to things without a car. Uh, my car is still not fixed. They don't know what's wrong with it. They don't know how to fix it. It's a nightmare. Uh, I have a high car now, and a, a sort of courtesy car, so I'm, I've got wheels in that. So feels... if you see a car... Going around the streets, it says Telford on the side. It could be you. It could well be me. Because <laughs> yeah. it does. It says Telford. It makes it makes a huge difference being able to do it. I mean, I've got a doctor's appointment later today, which, uh, you know. Have you? As this program oh, goes tomorrow, out. Sunday, Monday, Monday. Monday. <laughs> Valentine's Day, you know. Um, so later today, when people hear this podcast for oh, the first yes. time, I, I have to go to hospital yet more appointments i had one last week which i nearly missed in fact i did miss one last week so it's all been a bit of a faff so i uh, need to find someone else to romance me tomorrow uh, yeah feel free i mean you know you know let's not do it here okay let's talk about this privately it's not something we share but things are, are rough between us i appreciate okay we'll get into the it's interview you haven't shaved <laughs> We'll get to the, the, the interview in, in just a moment. But we ought to say that watch out later because we're making an author announcement, are we not? Oh, on Tuesday. On Tuesday. Yes. I'm sorry. It's going to be on Tuesday. We're making an author, author announcement the day after this podcast goes out. And we are so excited by this latest signing. In fact, we're hoping to have a little clutch of signings, which even the bookseller will have to reflect <laughs> because they'll be blown away by the scale of our ambition and the wonderful talents that we're bringing to the to the company but anyway look out for that this tuesday and of course let us not forget that a week from tuesday we are releasing the chemist by lewis hastings yes we are and we might even be talking to lewis next week we will we will we will not in video though for a very good reason but we'll explain that we could fuzz him out (laughs) (laughs) i haven't got the time to do that anyway Let's get into the interview with Diane Perry. Now, I, I picked up her uh, her book, um, Voiceover and Narration, uh, book, which was recommended to me. And it is a very different take on quite a well-covered subject. But uh, this book really talks about how you discover the emotional connection with your listeners 
no matter what type of narration or voiceover you're doing, whether it's, you know, a car commercial, a charity commercial, or anything else, or indeed an oh, audio Oh, look at his eyes. The poor donkey. He's yeah. suffered enough. Yeah, that's not quite... Just 20p a week. Yeah, it's almost there. You know, we'll <laughs> keep working on it. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into that in the interview. But uh, Diane joined us from her home in, in London, and uh, it's fair to say we got so much information from this, so I'm hoping you enjoy it, and uh, we'll speak to you after we've spoken to Diane Perry. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Uh, <laughs> lovely to be with you. Now, I picked up your book. You have I in have. your hand. I, just I'm wave it, just wave it. It's, it, but over your shoulders, we look. But anyway, we have, a, we have our copy here of Voice well, Over Narration. It's a well-thumbed copy. Creating Performances from the Inside Out, out with Matthew and Drama. It's a terrific book, and I picked it up because I narrate, and I'm always looking for those little 1% improvements that you can find. But I think there's probably about 25% improvement from reading that book. It's a wonderful book. So what motivates you to write it, Diane? Well, thank you, Adrian. Thanks. I'm glad that you got something out of it. What motivated me? Well, interesting, because I never set out to write a voiceover book. There's so many great voiceover books out there. And I just thought, you know, who, who needs another one? But over the years, working on my own issues with stumbling and all the issues that we have as voice actors and working with students on those issues, it just became clear that that there that there was a different approach that could be really useful. And also listening to lots of documentaries and lots of other narration projects that were out there, I didn't feel like I connected with many of them. And so that just felt like it was missing. I mean, the voices sounded nice and everything seemed to be well executed, but I just thought that's just not reaching me as a listener. Okay, why is that? So I started to really look at my own reads and look at the reads of my students and just kind of developed this way of connecting with the listener. And really that starts with connecting with yourself. So I, like I said, I sort of was dragged into it by the, by the ether, um, kept hearing not actual voices, but you know, write the book. <laughs> no, I'm scared. Um, write it anyway. Okay. Cause I always wanted to write a book, but I never knew it was going to be a voiceover book. So that's, that's kind of how it happened. And I got the publisher I wanted right out of the gate. I didn't even write a book and send it to publishers. I just got in touch with a publisher and said, I've got this idea, um, filled out a very complicated author proposal. And they said, yes, we love it. Go and write it. So I spent two years actually researching and, and writing it. So, you, you know, you're teaching voiceover as well as being a voiceover. But how long has, have you been in, in the industry now? Next month, it'll be 24 years. Wow. What, what made you join that industry? I always wanted to be a cartoon voice when I was a child. That was mm. uh, when, as soon as I found out that that was a thing. And I found out uh, Mel Blanc's name, who, of course, does Yosemite, or did Yosemite Sam and, you know, just thousands of characters. And um, so I always wanted to do that. But of course, what happens when you have a childhood dream you think, oh, that would be amazing. And then you grow up a little bit and you sort of dance around it. So I did everything in performance except that just kind of forgetting about it and then kind of came to my senses in my early 30s and thought oh yeah I wanted to do that so just um, found a friend of a friend who happened to have a studio in London and started to do radio commercials I knew that wasn't exactly what I wanted but I was smart enough to know that it was kind of in the same arena 
So I just started doing radio commercials. Um, but I, I was working as a temp, a secretarial temp. And so I had them book me into an office block that was near that studio. And the way it worked out was that on my lunch hour, they would book me lots of commercials and I'd go over on my lunch hour and do lots of radio commercials because there wasn't another American in the whole country that was on <laughs> ISDN every day in the yes. whole country. This is 98, I think. Then when I, I mean, obviously it's a bit messier than I'm making it sound, but basically when I earned more on my lunch hour than I did for the whole rest of the day, I thought maybe it's time for me to let go of the temping now and just sort of go for this and see what happens. And so one thing led to another and I met some people and eventually I got a voiceover agent and got um, opportunities to do character voice, which was, this has always been my love. And um, yes, it's just kind of gone from there. Wow. Wow, that is fantastic. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I, I think temping is a is a wonderful way to get to where you want to go. Because it did for me. I did temping. I as think well. so too. Yeah, because it's, you don't it's, learn much it's money, but you can kind of weave your way into the industry or near, like you say, near the industry that you're interested in. I think the the key really is just to do the next thing that feels right. You know, even if it doesn't really seem to make sense at that time, I just thought, okay, maybe this could work. You know, because I'm. You know, if you try to work it all out and getting getting into the industry and it's it's like climbing a mountain, you know, mm. if you looked at the top of the mountain, you may you may never actually take one step. But if you just go, OK, I'm just going to get to that rock. OK, I'm just going to get to that tree um, and just, you know, it's the old thing, isn't it? How do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. So if you just do, you know, for all those people listening who might want to who might want to get into voice acting, just one little step at a time. If you think mm. about, oh, okay, I've got to set up a studio, I've got to get a reel, I've got to have training, I've got to, you know, if you think if you look at it, you just think, oh, forget it. I'll just I'll just stay in my nine to five boring job and just, you know, die lonely and unhappy. So just do you know, one tiny little thing at a time. I think that's really good advice. And it doesn't matter what it is, it could be something really small that doesn't go anywhere, but Everything counts, I think. Exactly. Now, I read this amazing book, and I forgot to mention, um, it was because I read this book that is about goal setting and and, and procrastination in a way, and yes. absolutely true story. I bought this book thinking, okay, this is going to really help me, you know, get to grips with my dreams and everything, and um, and I left it on the shelf for seven years. So, so it's like a book about <laughs> procrastination was left on the shelf for seven years before I picked it up, but that's actually what gave me the courage to just remember um, that this dream of being a cartoon voice is, is what I always wanted to do. And I say, you know, cartoon voice, but now I do all kinds of voiceover and I love it. But the reason I chose voiceover narration for this particular book is that the reads are naturally longer. You have to you know, sustain the reads for longer. So I just thought it was a it was a good arena to talk about these voiceover concepts that I've kind of developed for myself and then I work with students with. Um, so you know, everything that's in the book, even though it's called voiceover narration, can be applied to any genre of voiceover and even further in any kind of spoken word performance or speeches or just any kind of communication. So that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to create a book that wasn't just about voiceover, but went deeper than that. 
you know, what are the energies of communication? You know, I talk about vibration and energy. I start with that. And then we build on that. What are the foundations of communication, the foundations of narration? And so it's really just how to talk to each other and communicate heart to heart. And that's when you really have a shot at, at having a visceral, you know, having the audience have a visceral reaction. You have mm. a shot at affecting them on a heart level rather than just your brain talking to their brain. You know? think, so it's all about that. It's really interesting, isn't it? Because you, you can apply that to writing and painting. You know, all these things, it's not just producing either a visual image or, a, yeah. you know, something you can listen to or something you can read. It's all that you're saying. It's about what the person themselves expressing something and mm. the communication you're communicating in all those things but yes all I never really thought about that yeah absolutely and so the key really is to um, get connected within yourself you can't connect with anyone outside you in anything you know even what you're you're talking about Rebecca so painting or whatever you can't do that unless you're aligned within yourself and so this book talks a lot about that because you have, you know, I always talk about your mind body voice has to work together as a team, you have to be, you know, coherent and resonating right um, with the right intention and the right everything um, for that communication to really reach the listener. And so um, what some what no one is really talking about, but it's it's absolute science, which is and this is something I figured out over years and years and years, is that whatever energies we generate within actually get transmitted on the vibration of voice and into the ears of the listener. So when you're watching an actor who's just kind of phoning it in and just, oh, I'm just going to make my body do this. And you can tell they're not really, I could name some people, but I won't. But you just think, okay, you're crying on screen. That is not touching me. It's because they didn't go to that place. They didn't mm -hmm. generate that within themselves. Conversely, if you watch Meryl Streep and she's crying in a scene, you're in bits because she's generated that within her body. She's actually gone there. And that gets transmitted through the voice, through the visuals, whatever. And then we get touched. We, we get touched in the heart because of the vibration that they're creating. So, you know, the book talks a lot about that as well, how to manage our own inner processes so that the message, the client's message, whatever it happens to be, or story, whatever it is, can actually reach the listener and have an impact on them. Now, that's quite a challenge because often when I was teaching broadcasters or other sort of nurturing my team of, of broadcasters over the years, I managed at the BBC for 10 years. And often was before that, I was uh, regarded as one of the sort of better voices, I suppose, um, in my department and so people would come to me when they were trying to start out moving from uh, a, an off-air job to an on-air one and they were consumed and indeed I was when I started with the technicals how far from the microphone all that sort of thing uh, they were overthinking everything they were hitting the commas hard on every script mm. all that sort of stuff the stuff that if you're thinking about the commas and if you're thinking looking at the text and you're hitting a word how do I say that and it's hitting you in takes you away from the it's like a blockage isn't it yeah absolutely yeah absolutely yeah. it puts you in your head and so that's yeah. that's what this book is all about is getting you out of the analytical left brain and getting you over to the right creative side which yeah. is connected to the heart 
through intuition, through instincts. So that's, and that's what I found in my own work. So I say, hang on a minute. If I split this up and I actually use my left brain to think about who I am, who am I talking to? What's my intention? All that stuff. Then I switch over to the right brain by thinking about, well, not by thinking about, by, by visualizing, by tapping into the emotion and by using my body more. So kinesthetics, all of those are primarily right brain things. Then you can speak from the heart through the right brain and connected to intuition and instincts. Then you, then you, then you can connect because you're connected yourself. You know, and so many voice actors, even ones that have been doing it for years, they just they've memorized what to do with their voice. Oh, now I'm going to make myself sound sexy. And that's what this feels like, rather than actually feeling that within them and having that come and having that come out of the voice. So it is fascinating. Yeah, I totally, totally agree with you. There. I wonder if yeah. there's an element of fear. There's a fear of letting go that people have. Oh, absolutely. I see this in students all the time. And mm. that's that's one of the that's one of the main blockages that you have to let go of. Um, you also have students that are very analytical, very left brain, want to analyze everything, want to know exactly how it's how to do it um, technically. And yes, there are some tech, there are some technical um, parts of, of voice acting. But if you sort out the energy part, most of those things will take care of themselves. I mean, yes, you do need emphases, you do need pauses, you do need to breathe. But if you think about all those things, it's going to trip you up. I like the analogy. It starts, that's how the book starts actually talking about if you go for a morning walk and you open your front door, you don't think to yourself, lift leg, bend knee, put foot down, you know, you'd fall over, right? So the same thing. Yeah, I would. If you're thinking about it all the time, oh, how do I say that word? Up, upward mm. inflection here, pause here, breathe here. That's just like following one of those old dance diagrams that were popular in the 50s. Paint by numbers. Know. Yeah, exa- exactly. I talk about paint by numbers in the book too. So, you know, you can follow mechanically the numbered footprints, but that doesn't mean you've mastered the foxtrot. It doesn't mean you're dancing. You're just, you know, going through the motions. And so if you just go through the motions vocally, you're, you're not going to reach anyone. They might go, oh, yeah, I can kind of understand what they're saying. And that's a nice sounding voice. Eh. You know, whereas if you actually speak from the heart, um, depending on what you're doing, if you're telling a story, if you're narrating anything, um, then, yeah, then then they'll, they will either. And I love this. I love an acronym. So they will either uh, four things that we can always ask of our uh, listener and they distill very nicely into an acronym leaf so learn experience act or feel or a combination of those so yes. that's if you ask yourself those questions before you narrate okay do I want them to learn something do I want them t- to take action press a button find out more do I want them to um, experience something or do I want them to feel something and so if you identify that, then that helps refine the energies of the communication that you're about to engage in. Absolutely. Oh, I like yeah. that. That's, good. No, that's really, really important. And I think that now I'm sort of hearing that, reflecting on some of the narration I've done. So I, you know, book narration is, is, is my, one of my things. And fiction, you want them to feel. Oh, yeah. Feel is the most important thing, isn't it? That's yes. interesting. Um, and the educational side of it, you know, in terms of communicating some information. Uh, I've done nonfiction, and it, in a way, when I approach nonfiction, I'm trying to do a little bit of both. I'm trying to make it sound as if it's not a formal book, in the sense that you know you can still take enjoyment from the performance, in the sense that you know you're still being told a story, albeit 
about in, pensions. In of, well, yeah, I did a pension. <laughs> I did a book on pensions, and uh, that was a tricky one. I mean, that that that's always going to be tricky, especially when you're referring to look at figure two on your PDF. If I can just comment on something that you actually said, Adrian, mm. and this is this is a slight cycle. It's just a slight psychological shift because what you said was something like, "I try to make it sound as though." xyz uh, but mm. actually that's the issue yeah because if you're trying to if you're chasing how you want your performance to sound then you're mm. sort of projecting yourself into the future and trying to manage what you're doing from from over there it's like driving the bus from the passenger side yeah whereas if you just get your energy right and you know what your foundations are who am i who am i talking to and there's a few other foundations then you're not chasing what you sound like you're just writing the feeling of what you're saying so you're feeling yes. your way through instead of thinking your way through and so that's that's something i have seen it's been incredible actually i've seen students if they just make that tiny switch Mm. and focus on the visuals for example focus on the story they're telling whatever they're doing just shift their focus slightly then they cease worrying about how it's going to sound because they know it's going to sound right because it feels right when they're doing it yes and that's that's what I learned you know I mean decades it took me to learn this for myself because I, I would just be in the booth and thinking why am I stumbling all the time what is going on in my brain mm. why why am I distracted why am I worried what's going on so psychoanalyzing myself over decades and just working all this stuff out and and developing some tools that helped me um, clear all this mental clutter that was getting in the way and then this is what I say to students we'll clear whatever mental clutter we can and whatever stubbornly remains we find a workaround yes. so for me I cleared a whole bunch of stuff what I couldn't clear is that I talk really fast maybe it's an American thing I don't know but I, maybe it's because my adrenals my adrenals are always going but <laughs> so I talk really fast so I developed you know, kind of a way to conduct mm. my performance with my hands to slow myself down. Yeah. So that's just that's just who I am. I'm not going to change that, but I I can find a workaround. You know, yeah. So, I think um, we all yeah, have so, those. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. So we and we all have. Everyone has a different idiosyncrasies and things. So, you know, I do make a joke that I'm I'm a voiceover psychologist. I think we talked about this before, um, yes. and not officially. I'm you know I'm not I'm not going to have people talk about their you know, tell me about your childhood, you know, not like that. <laughs> but I do like to sort of dig into the psyches of voice actors and find out what's making them tick or what's making them not tick so well. What's in the way? Are they worried? Are they afraid? Are they, were they bullied as a kid? And so their voice is, you know, um, soft now. You know, it, it is fascinating because what I learned is this, we cannot separate who we are from how we communicate. However we feel on that day, whatever our personality traits are, that will find its way into how we communicate. You change something in your life, you get more confident, your performance will get more, will get more confident. You know, you, you change something in your performance and your life will change. It's all intermingled. So I like to say that, you know, you can't, oh, what is that? I wrote in the book. Um, Oh, I so, said, oh, you can't, you can't have a, you can, we cannot have a no energy zone in our world any more than we can have a no peeing zone in our swimming pool. So it's <laughs> just all of the energy is all interlinked. Yeah. Um, mm. And it's fascinating. You know, it is fascinating. So I was going to say, I think that's true because there's sometimes when you're narrating and you come out and you say, 
it's just not working today. Oh yeah, absolutely. And I say, I say to him, "Well, stop then, do something else." But Mm. you know, I I hit that barrier um, this week actually, and and I started. uh, But dyslexia. No, no. I mean, I just hit a barrier with my performance. So I was starting oh. a new audio audiobook, and it's the second in a series. So Malcolm, if you're listening to this, it was Sin by Malcolm Hollingdrake. And I just simply couldn't connect up mm. with the text this time. And I've only recently finished the production of the, the previous book. So the voices are fairly familiar. You know, it was a little bit of feeling my way back into the character voices. But yeah. for some reason, I just couldn't get the flow. And I came out and I was battling and battling away. And, you know, tons of stumbling, uh, lots of retakes. It happens and, sometimes. I mean, you know, yeah, you, think, it does. you think I got this narration job to do, this corporate narration, and I'm mm. having to edit it together sort of, you know, one sentence at a time. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so what do you think was it? What, what was in your way? Were you worried about something? Did you? Yes, I think so. I, see, from my perspective, it's, it's obvious to me You'd had a really busy week. You were in yep. pain with your shoulder. Yep. Um, car problems, all sorts of things going on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a it was a stressful time. Yeah, but I, it's interesting that I mean, look, if I look over my career in in broadcasting, so when I started out, I was a DJ, and that was fine because you could just speak naturally. Well, actually, it wasn't that natural because in those days, everything was. It's a great, you know. Here's the latest hit from such and such. So it was all <laughs> that sort of. Like a and, and yeah, and I couldn't do. I couldn't. I I was much more naturalistic, and so as a young man, as a very cynical young man, I could not do the hi, how you doing, kind of uh, pat, you know. Uh, what's his name kind of stuff or Dr. Fox or any of those other people who were <laughs> big, big names in, in that time or Chris Tarrant or whatever um, or Radio One. And um, so I really struggled with that. And then uh, I went into journalism. Uh, someone said to me, look, the only secure career in broadcasting is having a journalism qualification uh, because you're always at the whim of the next program director who comes in and sacks half the presenters. That's what they mm. always do. And so he said, look, the one transferable skill is to go and get qualification. So I did that and now I became a newsreader you know with this voice everyone yeah thought mm-hmm. natural newsreader kind of thing but I, I would believe stumble- anything you told me Adrian I believe anything <laughs> yeah. but I was a stumble meister I was absolutely because of the build-up to each bulletin you were always editing scripting cutting the audio sending it to wherever the play system was and in those days it was recording onto cartridges uh, as you see in sort of 70s films and stuff like that. <laughs> and yeah. you were running into the booth with sometimes as little as 30 seconds to sit down, get the microphone open, set the volume, all that sort of stuff. And then you were conscious. You were you had a specific time slot. So you had to start in the hour and you had to finish by five past or something like that. The pressure of that mm. absolutely overwhelmed me. And yeah. as I've discovered... Uh, in, uh, this it, is this is you this will interest you i well, think diane well look i have <laughs> attention deficit disorder and i've only discovered this in the last year i've been diagnosed with it and it's been there all my wow. life and it's affected all my academic work uh i've always been regarded as oh he's really bright but he's really lazy no he's not lazy he just cannot focus for long enough for a 40 minute right. lesson right. or a lecture or whatever it might be i couldn't do it and certainly couldn't do it in a three-hour exam for goodness sakes so um there I'm in the booth with anything can distract me my mind can wander off can't hold it together for five minutes and then I discovered this week which was really interesting uh not much pat you know this is a theory that was put forward on a on a Facebook group that I, I'm a, a member of we're members of 
And I said, why am I such a slow reader? And I am. I am really slow compared to a lot of people. And someone said, are you left eye dominant? And I said, yes, I am. And she said, well, then you're stuck. You are one word at a time. And so I was always taught when I was starting out, you've got to read ahead. And I can't. I can't read ahead on a script. You know, I hit the words. And if I haven't had time to rehearse them mm. and, or get across the script and someone else has written it, then I would always stumble if something wasn't quite right, the comma is in the wrong place or the spelling was a little odd uh, or the flow wasn't right for my style. And there I was stumbling and I was actually fired as a newsreader as a result. I was made a reporter where I could just busk it. You're good at mm. busking because yeah. you're not reading. Yeah, I wasn't reading. I was just asking questions. Yeah. And so how do you get through an audio book then uh, if you have if you have. That's where I need the flow. And that is yeah. what you're saying about the energy state and the emotional state yeah. and tuning into what I'm reading. Mm-hmm. And when I'm in form, then I can get through a paragraph without a stumble. Then I might stumble in the next paragraph. But when I was doing last right. week was literally half a sentence and then having to do the pickup on the half sentence because otherwise well, this is this is mental anywhere. clutter i'm talking about you know you get mm. distracted you you bring the outside into the booth sure. and you're thinking about you know what what do i need to get at the grocery store or you're thinking about this yeah. or thinking about that and so yeah but that's that's where the visualization can help and the kinesthetics can help and tapping into the emotion of feeling it and then you're what that does is you're actually taking the energy away from your analytical mind you know yes. if you're actually gesturing while you're speaking and mm-hmm. um visualizing what you're talking about or visualizing who you're talking to putting yourself in a scene i mean different things work for different people whether you sure. know whether they're visual learners or kinesthetic learners or whatever they are um so but that's that's part of the sort of diagnosis i'd be very interested to work with you adrian um mm. I, I would offer you maybe like an hour um coaching session i wouldn't charge you because i'm really interested to see if some of these techniques could help you um get out of you know get your focus a little bit more you know together and help you figure out what's in your way anyway so i'll just i'll just throw that that's that's a wonderful (laughs) thought i mean you know one of the things that i've just and i mentioned this on the podcast a couple of weeks ago and i felt a little bit exposed saying it but i went and uh, you know if my gps listen to this they'll probably you know strike me off or something but i went out finding some medication um which can help with this and you can't get it in the uk so uh through sort of the dark web or whatever i've now got something that helps me focus and it's amazing it really is um now you know (laughs) given that i take tons and tons of prescription medications for everything else like diabetes and la 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 high pressure he has a big bag of pills (laughs) it's ridiculous (laughs) Um, adding another you know you think well what's the point but you might interact badly with something else but it has given me you know literally within minutes of taking this thing I'm suddenly back in the room in a way that I wasn't before I can wake up with the fog um, you've mm. seen it all the time I wake up and I'm sort of like unable to it's uh, you know it's I have symptoms similar to when my mother started showing dementia it's kind of like that it's like I'm with the fairies and then mm. suddenly bang i'm back in it now i used to be able to summon that up for short periods to do narration um that was something that i would work really hard on and i would do the warm-up i would physically warm up i would get the voice you know almost clear the palate a little bit 
um, lubricate the voice a bit and do the trills and all the other little physical things to almost get me into the zone and then I'd be more confident. But as you say, your inner critic in your in your book, you're talking about the inner critic a lot. Mm. That's that is a massive thing. Putting the headphones on. It's a completely as we are now, the two of us wearing our headphones. I remember, Rebecca, when you first <laughs> put them on and heard your voice on, it, a, on a professional microphone, just how much it freaked you out. Well, the loudness freaks me out because I don't like loud noises anyway. So I do struggle with that a little bit and the sort of closeness mm. of everything. But mm. it's true. It's, it's very pains. common. It's very common. But, you know, if you so if a student's really struggling with that, um, because you, you do hear yourself differently in the headphones than you would you know, naturally through your ears. So I always suggest if you are struggling, if it, if it puts you off, just have one on, one off. Yes. Yeah, um, I do sometimes have it do half. It that way. Because yeah. it can boom at me in my ears. So I yes. do. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's funny. You, you always become the person podcasting or recording with all the, the paraphernalia. <laughs> I, think, I think that's it. I mean, once we got comfortable with this new environment, you know, and this has made the difference for you, I think, doing the podcast in this booth. Yes, it has. It's made a big difference. And I'm much better in the booth than I am when we're walking by the canal or something, because we do some, sometimes, sometimes take it out we? and about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You're much nice. more relaxed. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, let's go back to to, to, to the book and, and to, to, to your sort of learnings, really. I mean, you know, I, well, I always love a book which is based on, as yours is, experience, mm. as opposed to, um, you know, a... Theory. Theory. Yeah, that's yeah. sort of then yeah. you attract the information to, to justify it. But your, yours is based on yes, exactly. It's exactly what I. Thank you. I it's it's exactly what I didn't want. I didn't want to just sit down and go right. I'm going to write a book. Hmm. What can I piece together? This actually came from. It's like the the wisdom and the knowledge amassed first, and then it was just like it just it just wanted to be a book. It just mm. did. and if I can get a little woo-woo here for a second some (laughs) of the information in there I swear did not come from me um you know higher self higher consciousness whatever but the Mm. whole section on narrator archetypes where I um sort of coalesced together narrator behaviors that I'd seen over the years for example um what I am the perfectionist there's the bulldozer there's the worrier there's the analyzer um and so that was almost downloaded while I was writing the book I didn't I hadn't planned on that at all it just kind of came from the voiceover realm the gods who knows but um so I did I it was an extraordinary experience actually writing this book because you know what they say, you don't really know how, you don't really realize how much you know until you start teaching it. But you don't really know how much you know until you start writing a book about it. And then I mean, you think, gosh, I know a lot more than I thought I did, you know? Because we associate that sort of experience with fiction. A lot of our authors say yeah. they don't know exactly where the book's going to go and their characters talk to them and tell them where they're going to go and what they're going to do. But you're saying love that happened that. to you with nonfiction. Absolutely. I, lo- I love that. No, absolutely. And just... Um, you know, all of the experiences that you've had 
for however many I've been teaching since technically since 2006 that was my first workshop it was terrible terrible it was a character workshop and I had it all written out and I, it was just yeah. awful I look back and I think wow I've really come a long way since then but <laughs> um yeah so I mean I've been teaching for a really long time but you just you know everything that you've experienced with every student every class every workshop it's all kind of there in the cloud it is. And when you sit down to focus to write a book, it's sort of like all these different experiences that you haven't really thought about for years. You go because it's like your brain goes, OK, I need an example of that. And then your cloud goes, use that with him. Her. <laughs> and you go, Oh, that was. Oh, yeah, that was that was interesting. Yeah. So um, I loved it. And I would like to do another book. So about two weeks after I um, well, I did the book and then I did the audio book. And about two weeks after that. Uh, I started to get an inkling about another book and I mentioned it to my husband and he just, he just looked, he looked crestfallen. He was like, Oh yeah, no, color because he's been like a book widower for two years. So. <laughs> but I haven't, I haven't actually started it because I, I, I sent a, a little idea to my publisher and she, her first line of her email was, are you crazy? <laughs> so after a couple more weeks, I was like, yeah, maybe I am. Maybe, maybe I should just have a, have a rest, have a rest. But yeah. then again, you know, to have something tangible because a lot of what you're doing and I do is it's just a consumer thing. I mean, you know, a, a good voiceover that you've done for an advert same might give you six months, you know, it can be heard for six months and then it disappears into the ether when in broadcasting, it's out of your mouth and gone. So, and I used to say this in my office, I used to say, look, what we do is not even as substantial as newspaper print, which can be turned into chip wrappers for the next day. <laughs> And it's in the library forever. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, it's, you know. And it's, well, see, I would argue with you there, Adrian, actually, because right. I really believe that, and I, I, it's not that it's just me that believes it, I think it is actually science, <laughs> is that whatever we say, think, feel, do, it's all in the ether forever. I mean, yeah. you know, I'm not talking about, you know, on this earth plane, but it is out there. But I know what you're saying. It's really nice to actually, I have it on my, um, I have a copy of the book on my nightstand. And I sort of, it's not like I go to bed reading it, but I sort of look, kind of look at it and go, I did that. You know, you know I, would do, I would do the you same. If I wrote a book, I would do the same. Absolutely. I'd have it there. Absolutely. No, <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I don't sleep with it I, or I, anything or cuddle it or pet it Under or the anything. pillow. <laughs> yeah. I guess, I guess you've, you've just triggered something in me. So. This is good. I mean, this is what this communication game is all about. Oh, <laughs> I, you know, what you've said there about it hanging easy. See, I throw out a whole, when I was in, certainly in the work environment um, with the ADD, you, you basically sometimes say things that are inappropriate. And because oh. you haven't, you don't have the filter. Right. as much as other people so you you because I'm you i might get, have ADD actually. <laughs> because yeah. I'm always saying inappropriate. Right. Well, I, I, so my career, you know, this is being very honest. Um, I, I sort of had burnout. Being a manager, it's hard, hard work. It's a busy environment, 24 hour news environment, all that sort of thing. Phone calls at three in the morning when someone goes ill and, you know, got to get cover and you drive yourself in and go and do it. That kind of stuff. And mm. lots of egos and all that stuff that broadcasting game involves and politics in the BBC. I was burnt out. But as I started to negotiate my departure, uh, then people were coming forth and saying, uh, you know, good, good riddance. Uh, you know, he said it's something inappropriate five years ago. And you're thinking, I have no recollection of something like that. And I certainly didn't say it with any malice. If it was something that someone took offense at, 
they've obviously harbored it for that long. So, yeah, I mean, I perhaps underestimate the power of what you say and mm. the word. And, mm. and, and, you know, I'm, I'm mm. almost too casual with it. But that has just that's what's that echo has just sort of brought back. Why would somebody harbor that for five years? People, uh, well, they do, might people, not necessarily I mean, have decades, just, because it's it's they hold on to it. Sorry, Rebecca. I was going to say that the trigger of you leaving, mm. well, like you were saying, it brings back the memory of it. Of yeah. something. Oh yes, he said that five years ago. Yeah, well, maybe, maybe. <laughs> I don't I lo- know. You know, and and that there is this disconnect, isn't there, between sometimes what you intend and oh, the way completely. that it's conveyed. And yeah, it's politics, and it's you know what it's is, all. Sorry, it's all about that. politics. Is yeah, all it's about all that, about your intention. It's all yeah. about your intention, and that's why um it's such a powerful thing. If you don't have time when you're doing your prep for any kind of voiceover, if you yeah. don't have time. To, you know, who am I? Who am I talking to? It doesn't really take that long after you get used to it. But if you need a shortcut, that's where the three dials comes in. Yes. This is something, again, that I developed for myself just as a shortcut. Okay, so a script has come in. I have to go into the booth and do it in like five minutes. I don't really have time to workshop it. Okay, so three dials, intention. That is the verb that succinctly describes what you're trying to do with this communication. So are you teaching, seducing? Um, warning what are you doing just that one word and there's a list of 96 intentions in the book you have you have yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah. and then so that's dial number one dial number two is uh pace like how fast does this need to be on a scale of one to ten and formality how formal is it are you talking to toddlers about their first words or are you talking to oncologist about the next big cancer treatment how formal does the communication need to be so that's what i call dialing in your read it's really fast you can think about you know what your intention is how fast you have to go and how formal you have to be those are really strong it's like a milk stool really strong structure on on which to build you know your communication and it just it just takes like a second five seconds maybe yeah so, but it really focuses you because um, I think, you know, you talked about your experience, Adrian, where, mm-hmm. you know, you were just, you were distracted and thinking about other things. But if you, if you actually like dial in your read, it actually, I don't know, it just focuses the, your mind and your body and your voice. And then suddenly you're, you're in that communication. Another thing yeah. I found, which is really interesting is that um, for e-learning, for example, so there's a really specific visualization that I use for e-learning, and that's mm. because e-learning is one-to-one communication. It's very yeah. intimate. That person has got you in their ears for however many hours, learning something they may not want to learn. But learning is a very vulnerable undertaking. And so it has to be genuine. Your voice has to be genuine. Otherwise, it'll just be just be grating. Um, but what I visualize whenever I'm doing e-learning is that there's a round table. I'm sat at a round table and my learner is to my left and on the table is an open book. And I'm just gently guiding them through all of that material. And what that does is it activates my acting muscles. It also puts me into one-to-one communication, but it also gives me a sense of is is empathy the right word or just compassion i suppose yeah. like to treat this learner with compassion because learning can be really difficult and and it doesn't matter what the subject matter is it could be you know something quite technical it could just be how to iron your shirt i mean who knows but i just find by doing that uh, by putting myself in that scene all of the nuances of that imaginary communication 
find their way into my read. And so it makes it more full. It makes it more round. It makes it more authentic because I'm actually in that scene. And mm. so that comes out of the voice. I think that's really that's, fascinating. Yeah. yeah, because you basically, vi- well, you talk about visualizing a lot. You're, you're putting images on everything. Yes. So yeah. If you think about what, if you've ever listened to someone talk about a recent holiday and you can see that glimmer in their mm. eyes that mm. they're reliving it. They're yeah. actually seeing the beach, seeing the mountain, whatever they did. And yeah. that makes the story more interesting. It just gives it more body. There's just more to it. It's not just words. It's it fattens the vibration, I suppose, in a way, mm-hmm. you know. So that's what we have to think. And especially, you know, when we're doing audiobooks, mm-hmm. if we're just if we're just reading, that is not interesting. But if we're visualizing it, that comes through. If we're becoming each one of the characters as they appear, then that brings it all brings it to life. Absolutely. Um, for the listener. Yeah. Yeah, that's when I'm creating character voices and I mean, you are, that's, that's an area of your expertise. I mean, I create character voices where I'm trying to, I took this from Scott Brick, who is uh, regarded. Yeah. One of the, one of the, I mean, he's a demigod of the the industry, isn't he? He really is. Yeah. 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 So he's an American uh, who has narrated, you know, more than a thousand audio books and has won all sorts of awards doing so and he's very clear-sighted on how he approaches it and i think that his number one learning tip is to get the emotional state of the character right absolutely you you know you can do a facsimile of whatever voice you want but if you're not in the right emotional state if you're not embodying and living that moment for your character then it doesn't come over as as authentic exactly exactly and that's what i mean actually when i say that we need to create a performance from the inside out and from the ground up, not from the top down, what it should sound mm. like, because that doesn't make sense. That's like trying to build a house by starting with the roof. If you, you've got to have the supporting mechanisms in place, you have to have the emotion, you have to have the yeah. visualization, you have to have the connection, you have to have all of that stuff, then you can then you can connect. So he's absolutely right. Start with the emotion. Always start with the emotion. Feel your way through instead of think your way through. Mm. And you can you can learn to become aware of your own your own performance machinery and you can learn to to feel the difference between when you're on rails when you're in that zone when you're almost having a meditative out-of-body experience and when your when your inner critic is is you know shouting things in your ear that you're not good enough and that didn't sound good and you know if you're listening to yourself so you know that's what the pitfalls chapter is all about because I have lived every one of those pitfalls so I know (laughs) what I'm talking about and I still do sometimes. I, I mean, I still have to edit out something from a corporate narration or whatever, where I'm saying, stop listening to yourself. You know? <laughs> so, you know, I, but, but now I've been doing this for such a long time. I know what my remedies are. So I know how to become aware of, oh, right, that's what I'm doing. Okay, my remedy for that is this. And so that's what I do with students is I sort of get them to understand their own machinery and how it works because we're all so different. And then once they get that and once they have a taste 
of how that wonderful read feels in the mind body voice then they have a bar and every anything that doesn't reach that bar from that point on isn't good enough so once they develop an awareness of what's going on internally in their you know psycho physical part um then they can develop remedies or or fix things altogether a lot of things can just be sorted out once you become aware of them and so you need an outside person to say do you realize that after every sentence you go <gasps> you know like a deep breath or whatever it is whatever bad habit they have and they go no i wasn't so once they become aware of those things a lot of them just disappear without really having to work too hard but oh, um you know, you have some stubborn things that uh, that you just have to you just have to keep being aware of and go, oh yeah, that's that gremlin, and not be not get mad at yourself because that doesn't help. Mm. That's you know? um, so, on on the audio book front, if I may. I mean, there's, there's one elephant in the room. You say in the in the book here that you know you came out of a booth one time in July. It, I mean, they are hot things. So I mean, I uh, I used to you know sweat buckets i actually used to strip down to pretty much my shorts and that that would be it oh um, too much information adrian come on now <laughs> well uh yeah i was in a hot front room with the sun beating down on the the thing and 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 i just couldn't get it yeah the, the ventilation was hopeless but um it is a it's a very physical thing to have the reserves of energy to get through an audiobook so at some point in your career you, you know you hit that wall and decided that that wasn't for you actually doing audiobooks anymore uh, it didn't True. suit you so uh what was that 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 moment of realization what was that like well it was really empowering actually because um i seem to have this idea stuck in my head that obviously i just felt incredibly lucky that i can do voiceover for a job and i just thought well i'm i'm just supposed to say yes to everything i mean not like you know mm. porno lines and things like that but i just <laughs> thought it was it was my job to say yes if somebody offered me an audiobook even though i quite frankly just found them torturous i'm and i always sort of joke that i'm more of a sprinter than a marathon runner i'm yeah. in, in literary terms i'm more tigger than poo you know <laughs> um, maybe i do have add i don't know but it's just it just felt like uh, every time I did them, I'd get done and I'd think, I think never again, never again. And then <laughs> offer me another one. I go, okay, oh no. And then I did two in a row from my booth here. So remotely yes. on ISDN. Mm. And the last one I did, but before my audiobook, because that's different. I wrote that for me to speak and that was a joy. But, you know, this other book, I finished it and I walked across the hall to the bathroom and I looked in the mirror and I said, sweetheart I will never make you do that again it's just <laughs> something just uh, something just said to me you know you don't have to take this work if you don't want to no and no. so it was like and it, as soon as I came out of the bathroom I was like oh you know and I just thought yes this is fantastic I've actually decided that I don't want to do that work anymore yeah. and I never have until until my own book but like I said that was a joy I, I enjoyed that so um, yes, there you go. So you know you don't have to do everything. Find and this is what I say to students because they're usually their first question to me is, "What do you think my voice would be good for?" And I say, oh, yeah. "Wrong mm. question. The <laughs> right question is, what what part of voiceover brings you joy? Start yes. there. 
because you want to do you want to be a voice actor because it's fun right you don't you know you don't want to go well mm -hmm. what am i good for well then you might as well go get a job in an office start with what lights you up with what brings you joy then someone else can say well actually your voice fits really well in this do you enjoy that yes okay well let's do that then you know so start with the joy and that's really good i say that to my children all the time when they, what, what am i going to do when i grow up with what you I, enjoy, I, I yeah. and, and whatever makes you happy exactly good advice good mothering absolutely <laughs> no she's a good mother um yeah most of the time and uh you know i i, well, I, I get to feed them sometimes i but... take great joy <laughs> oh well you know insane corporate buzz lines i mean you know so you know, he does uh, it for pleasure. I do, I do. You know, terms and conditions. Apply. Three o'clock in the morning. Your, oh, <laughs> no. Your home may be at risk. Um, <laughs> <laughs> your your marriage may be at risk. Your well, marriage think, may be yeah, at risk if likely. you continue but, to. Well, uh, what I tend to do, I mean, as you mentioned, when we had the, uh, the sort of pre-chat we had last week when we were setting up this interview, uh, you mentioned that I, I do Michael Caine at oh, three in the morning. He does, yes. I, I can't help that. I mean, sorry, I'm quite I think right. I'm getting too much of an insight into your was it Michael Gove you did once. I don't know, it was Someone Boris. Like I did Boris. Now, that is not what you want I, in the I, middle I, of the what, night. I, I, I imagined, you know, I was just sort of basically trying to explain my way out of a out of a situation that I got myself in. I think you're fine, you know, sort of. And, you know, I think I alleged that you could have prosecuted Jimmy Savile and fail to and what no, 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 too too political we're we're we're, See, we're that's the ADD coming out we're, exactly we're fast disappearing into uh, it's the rabbit hole that we don't want to go down but um, you know what i mean talking about filters because i i i very quite often don't have a filter but this is what i encourage in students you've got, we've got to get rid of those filters oh yeah so that you can actually connect to your instincts and to your intuition and so and a lot of people find that really difficult to just let go let yeah. go of the control let go of the analyzing the Absolutely. you know um, the need to manage the read and so with a lot of students it's really just a matter of some people are just they're so focused on the these are the words and what do I do with them and I say forget about that forget about that just you know focus on focus beyond the words this is one of my favorite things that, that came out of the book which which is um, let me see if I can remember it language is just the transport vehicle so the precious cargo is energy, intention, and emotion. That's what we're getting across. The words just help us get there. And the voice is like the fuel. So it's just all about the energy and the intention and the emotion. That's what you're getting across. The words, just the, just the truck. Right. When you yeah. were narrating your own book, and you say it was a joy, but did you discover your, any sort of... Uh anything about yourself as a writer from having to interpret your own words because i find that we always encourage our writers to read everything they do out loud because they're going to mm. find issues with you know sentence structure uh, dialogues suddenly improves when you read it out loud because you realize that you know mm. you know well, that kind i of didn't stuff. actually uh, um have any issues because the book was already done and submitted mm -hmm. Um, but because I have so many years experience reading words and hearing my own voice in my head, 
then because I actually kept that in mind while I was writing it. Mm -hmm. So I wrote it for me to speak. So it was written in my voice, my language, my Mm -hmm. vernacular, whatever. And so um, when I came to do it, the actually what threw me it didn't it didn't speaking my own words didn't throw me what threw me was the pressure I felt uh, probably created in my own mind of a narrator narrating a book about narration yeah think about that for a second a narrator narrating a book about narration so talk about pressure for demonstrating good practice Yes. So that's, I found that crushing. And so, you know, and I was listening too much and I was trying and I was doing all the things I teach my students not to do. And I thought, wow, okay. That's your your analytical brain getting in the way. Oh, good heavens. I'm trying to make everything. And I was like, stop listening to yourself, trying to make, trying to make sure that it sounded right. And so it really got me into my head and took me out of the flow more than, I was going to say more than once, more than a hundred times probably. Um, So yeah, and my perfectionist tendencies really ramped up Mm. and uh, it was, it was a struggle. I say it was a joy. It's a joy that it's done, but you know, there were some, there were some days where I just thought, oh my gosh, I'm not sure I can do this. I can, (laughs) I can read someone else's book, but to try to, you know, to read my own while, because you know what it is it's the old saying if you chase two rabbits you lose them both so I was chasing um trying to stay in a really solid communication while I was trying to demonstrate best practice I I had I was juggling too much and so my intention got muddied and so when I finished I finally finished it and I looked back at the whole experience Uh, I learned an awful lot I learned an awful lot and so that even sort of um uh just made everything else that I've learned over the last whatever how many years uh, just made it just solidified it you know and I thought mm-hmm. okay so now I've ex- now I've really experienced uh what that's like so but it was interesting definitely who who would you say out there in the moment I mean th- in the UK we're very spoiled because we have so many wonderfully trained actors and actresses who are in the voiceover game as well and so there are lots of mellifluous wonderful performances and there are also a lot of people nowadays of course there is this great growth in the voiceover market for mm. in the, you know regional accents for word want of a better phrase or authentic people rather than someone from rather pretending to be a cockney they get a cockney to do it exactly mm. um which wasn't the case in the past i mean back in the 90s they would get somebody in who would go and darling yes i'm just going to warm up a little bit hey, what do you want me to be the geezer right you know, do that <laughs> yeah no it's true they you know you can yeah. we can you can just get the real thing because yeah no know, no we think so of many... more, more sort of west midlands all right uh yeah I can, I can do that darling yes i can go you know that kind of thing that's that's how it used to be um mm. and it, it it strikes me there's been a massive democratization of of voices partly because you don't have to be living within an hour's... I thought you were going to stop at living then. No, you don't have... You don't have Ghost to Ghost voiceover is a new right. thing. You don't have to be living. You can be a ghost. <laughs> no, um, our service allows you not to live. Uh, you know, and pay for your funeral Come to costs. Switzerland. Uh, no, um, so uh, what, what I was saying is, is that in the past, much like writing now, where you can self-publish 
you can put yourself out there as a voiceover artist anywhere in the world. Doesn't matter as long as you've got preferably an ISDN connection, but not even that now because you can just go online. No, ISDN is, is pretty much got yeah, clean feed or source connect. Yeah, yeah, it's. I mean, ISDN is now no longer needed. Most countries don't even have it. They don't support the structure anymore, so they, they've taken mm. it out. Mm -hmm. But um, the fact is that you can, you know, you used to have to if you wanted to be a regular voiceover person, you'd have to be an hour's ride from Tottenham Court Road or Soho or something like that to get the jobs. Mm -hmm. uh, or indeed, if you were Tom Baker, uh, you would be down in a basement of a of a wine bar waiting for the phone call <laughs> um, and come up and read something and and then come out and do it. But nowadays you can do it. And, and also, the I say the dem democratization. Voices like mine are no longer as fashionable as they used to be. Everything used to be, you know. Deep and gravelly. Deep and gravelly and posh and mm. la la la. You know, sort of reassuring and you know banking adverts all of them were like dark chocolate someone saying now it's all sort of people going we understand you you know we understand as well we've been you know we've all gone through it like white Can't... chocolate <laughs> you know <laughs> we know about yeah. life's challenges come to halifax yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. And and I don't know where I'm leading with this, but what I'm saying well, is... Well, you, you started that... asking me a question about who do I think in the UK? Oh, yeah. That's yeah. Right, so I'm, I'm saying is, who do you think... I mean, who, who, who would you sort of... When you're talking to students, do you recommend anybody for, for the what? quality of their performance or their, their, their approach to voiceover? Do I recommend anyone? Mm. Uh, how, how do you mean? Like, like well, go well, listen to them, know. they're good or... Uh, yeah, they're a great audiobook reader. Like Stephen Fry is, is one of the gods of it because oh, know, Stephen Fry is fantastic. Martin Jarvis. Yeah. Martin oh, Jarvis, God. yes. I, I'm actually listening to the the Harry Potter series, the audiobooks, yes. and uh, I'm astonished. I mean, I, I've always been a Stephen Fry fan. I'm mm. astonished at his performances. Unbelievable, just unbelievable. So I think to answer your question, I no, I don't really. I don't because I like I like to bring out everyone's individuality and so I don't say go listen to that voice actor they're great I say what can you do what can you know how can yeah. we get your authentic real voice because everyone's different and everyone has something to um to contribute so I kind of focus on that but I do ask them if some like let's say someone's working towards getting their uh, reels done and I would say, okay, go to voice agents' websites, wherever, whatever country they're in, go to voice agents' websites in that country and just listen to everything. Um, then you get a sense of the, the bar, you know, the, the quality that you need, how they put them together, what different clips do they have on there. So, you know, I give them a little bit of homework that way. Yeah, I, I, I had a voice reel done 15 years ago, I guess. I went to uh, the showreel uh, company in Chiswick. For, mm -hmm. uh, for a demo acting really but and i went in there and of course i had all this broadcast background and i found it really hard to shake off the broadcast broadcast sound mm. if you like um and it I does get stuck it, it does get stuck yeah yeah and i listened back to it now and i was trying to do and one of the things for my reel was an empathetic read about uh autism you know please help you know that kind oh, of thing charity now now i can do it better than i did then then it was like please help you know, it wasn't. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's one of my bugbears actually, because and it's something that I, I often use as an example, because there are so many charity commercials on television, oh boy, yeah. and, and they haven't gone there to that emotional place, and so no. it just falls flat. And it's such a shame because they're great charities that need help, but why can't they get a narrator who can mm -hmm. actually feel that and reach? This is it's a classic. Um, one of the one of the things that I listened to that I thought I'm I'm not connected to that and I should be. Yeah. Of all the stuff that's on television, a charity appeal for starving people in another country, yeah. I should I should connect my heart to that, but I just can't yeah. because the voiceover didn't do it. Oh, the one about and donkeys. Really oh, the one we saw about donkeys the other day, which made me. And laugh, it's just like know. it's like syrup, isn't it? Okay. Oh, the donkey thing. Sorry. That's what I'm talking about. So the voice actor goes, right, now I'm going to make my voice sound sympathetic. Look and the, they do it all from the neck up and not See involve the their heart at all. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and I'm and doing think, from the neck up no. now myself. <laughs> yeah. See his pain. Mm. He's worked hard. All his life. Oh, stop, stop. Life. I can't. I can't. No. No. But you two can help. No, no, no. Please <laughs> stop. One pound. Oh, no, stop. <laughs> <laughs> Torturing me. No, no. Uh, <laughs> Sorry about that. No. Um, now, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll get to the Rebecca's random question because this has been a fascinating conversation. We've, I've loved it. I've loved I mean, it. I've loved Thank it. Thank you guys Literally so much. every second of it. Um, but uh, in terms of, so let's say we've got somebody out here listening to this and I hope lots and lots of people are thinking, you know, well, maybe I'll give it a go. And um in terms of finding that representation, that's so hard at the moment, is it not? Finding, you know, because well, you're getting with the voice excellent, agent, very hard. You're, you're with the excellent voice companies. I am right? with excellent talent. Yeah, yeah, excellent. And talent. I always have been. It's the only agent I've ever had. Is that so, John Briggs's company? Not anymore. They sold it. Ah, okay. Yes. John Briggs, for those who don't know, was the voice of the Weakest Link, and hey! the voice of Siri for many, many years. Yes, one of the deepest. Voices. You are the weakest link, that bloke. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> statistically, you know, Brian is the weakest link. Uh, yeah, and uh, so they've sold it. Well, you know, uh, and they had Simon Bates on their books and things like that. So it's a wonderful. I mean, you look at that. That's the who's who of great voiceover work. I think in the in the in the country. But it's it's tough. Oh, they're very good. Yeah, but it is it is really hard. But you know, you don't you don't have to. This is why you know I, I take each student individually and I say, okay, because mm. they go, oh, well, I need a voiceover agent. I said, well, maybe not. You know, if you just want to do audiobooks, you know, yeah. get your profile, get your demos, get your training. I did that in the wrong order. Get your training, get your demos. You know, get your <laughs> HPX profile, and then yeah. just just do that and enjoy doing that. You know, sometimes this is very interesting, too. If someone's impetus, if someone's being driven by, I must make money at this, mm. that is that is like a wrench in the works. And it's just it's it's going to really get in your way. You know, you, you if someone calls me and, and I do a lot of consults, you know, for potential students, they want to know what I do and they go, oh, well, the worst thing they can say is, uh, well, I've, so I've been told I have a great voice and that you could earn a lot of money. And I just think, OK. Let me Forget just it. let me just burst that bubble right now. If you get into voiceover because you want to earn a lot of money, a that's not going to drive you well, and b it's just that's just you're just fooling yourself. You know, I'm not saying you couldn't learn earn a lot of money, but if that's what drives you, 
it's not right. This is a creative field. This is a, yeah, you know. If you do it because you want to do it, you feel passionate about it. It's well, what, you know. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, yeah. and in, you know, the, the sort of fees people that are offering now for that sort yeah, of Yeah, I mean, work, if you want to earn tons of money, not... go run a hedge fund or something. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And don't, and don't for a moment think that this is actually easy because the energy, the skills, the, all of the emotional stuff that we've been talking about, mm. how, how, you know, accessing a performance takes an awful lot of work to be prepared when you're going to, especially when you're going into a professional booth with people through the glass and you can see the reaction when you don't get it right for the 15th <laughs> time. And yeah. they're sort of heads in hands or something like that. I mean, like, this okay. happened to me. I did. I, I earned five hundred quid one time for doing three words. But boy, oh boy, we were there for two hours to try and get the three words right. And oh, um, isn't that crazy? I know it's it's, know. it's very strange. But yeah, there's, yeah, there's lots to know. There's lots to know about the industry for sure. It's not so, an easy path. No. Let us let us let us get to the the most <laughs> sought after part of these broadcasts, uh, these podcasts, which of course is Rebecca's random question, which I'm now going to give it the full for beans okay ready rebecca's random question what is your most interesting celebrity encounter oh interest okay what is my most interesting celebrity encounter okay so i think that's going to be quite recently actually 2017 yeah i had been nominated for a sovas award so if you don't know sovas that's a society of voice arts and sciences it's like the oscars of the voiceover world and we were in warner brothers studios in uh hollywood and (laughs) i had a conversation with aaron brockovich who i just I really just look up to and I've seen Aaron Brockovich the film many many times love it and we talked for about 20 minutes and then she introduced me to her business partner and he asked me you know what I had what I kind of work I had done and I mentioned an animation that I had done door hunters from outer space and he said that's my can't remember if he said grandson or son. Oh, I think he said grandson. That's my grandson's favorite show. And so I said, well, give me your phone. So I did a little voice note to him in That's the voice cute. of Principal Jones from Dork Hunters from Outer Space. I've got to hear this voice and, now because I don't know it. Oh, Can, she's, I have a, a an action figure of her up on my, yeah. on my shelf. She's, um... Uh, she's based on my stepmother, who actually I've used my stepmother in about four different animation series Why not? because she's very, oh, lovely. Uh-huh. She's very open and very mumsy. Uh-huh. And so it's a little bit of Lois and a little bit of um, she's Principal Jones is terrified of her boss, who is a chihuahua um, disguised as a chihuahua on Earth. Yes. And so a little bit of. Uh, terror afraid of him and then she's just very nervous because and so it turns out to be oh yes you're yes your dogginess of course right away oh <laughs> right you mean if we did oh i see uh-huh so she's just very <laughs> she's very like that so anyway so i did a little bit of that so that i think that was probably my most interesting that's very interesting uh, very liberty interesting. encounter but she was <laughs> lovely erin brockovich she was really lovely yeah that's really so yeah, my, my most interesting, because interesting yeah. in the sort of broadest sense, was bumping into uh, the uh, Mike Joyce from the Smiths outside the toilets. Yeah, the drummer of the Smiths. So literally bumping into him, going, "Oops, excuse me." Right. Oh, right. Well, my, okay. I, I I don't know where to rank. I mean, I've, some of these. I've oh, he has hundreds the, of them. Well, yeah, because I've worked at Television Centre for years, <laughs> so you just have people. Me too. Yeah. 
Me too. Yeah. When, when were you at Television Centre? Uh, Television Centre between 1999 and when, it, uh, when they kicked us out back to Salford. So we're talking about 2011. So, yeah, 12 years. We were there at the same time. Wow, okay. I worked uh, on a live cartoon for CBBC called oh, Nelly really? Not Live in 2000, 2002 to 2005, I think. Wow. Yeah, it was well, a live cartoon. We could have eaten chips next to each other in the well, canteen. Very likely. We could yeah. have. We very much. Yeah, we very well could have. Well, the filling station, as it well, the killing station, as it was known. As a result of being there, of course, you bump into celebrities all the time, and you know whether it was my toilet story is having a uh, having a. I was going for a quick break between bulletins and. In those urinals was Lord Sebastian Coe on one side, one of the finest athletes <laughs> of all time, and John Hurt. Uh, oh wow! Uh, you know to hear his voice, you know his approach to ah Sebastian, lovely to see you. Uh, <laughs> you know, I may be some time. I'm, I'm getting rather old now. You know it was that. It was just bizarre, and I'm in the middle of Amazing. these three of these two legends. But. I think my favourite one is meeting my all-time greatest, well, two greatest heroes. One, Tom Baker, who's still my favourite voiceover artist of all time. You know, just amazing voice. Yeah. Also great Doctor Who. Um, the definitive Doctor Who in my book. And that's going to cause controversy in our listenership, I'm sure. But the other <laughs> one was David Bowie. Meeting David oh, Bowie. Oh, right, David Bowie. So are you a Doctor Who fan, Adrian? Yeah, uh, until... Well, we live in a TARDIS. Yeah, this is the TARDIS. <laughs> no, I, I am. But I'm in. I am in utter despair about the current condition of the show. So uh, I have. And did we talk about to... this last week? Did we talk about Doctor Who? I don't know. Did we? Yeah, maybe we did. Maybe we did. But I, I, I cannot. I cannot get on board with the Jodie Whittaker Doctor Who and the way it's written uh, and the, the the ludicrous levels of you know uh, wokeism it's in, not, within it's, the story. It's not it? just your generation, is it? My my sons who yeah, they, they're they, they relatively recent Doctor yeah. Who fans. They talk about it all the time. How you know they just, how rubbish it is. <laughs> they don't like it being sort of spoon fed down their throats. A little bit, but wow. also you know the, the the fact is that that Doctor Who, you know, we're really are digressing here. But Doctor Who, <laughs> when it, in the seventies, or indeed the the original incarnation of the show, which ran for seventeen years, with the episodic cliffhanger endings, that worked. Mm. But mm. the 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 current thing of having an hour. And then the story's wrapped up means that you've got to get all your exposition out. So what happens nowadays is the doctor will say something really quickly and, and a, you know, Yorkshire accent really quickly. So you can't understand what she's actually talking about. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that sort of thing. And yeah. then, the, you know, there's, there's no build up. There's no, the, the beats of the story. Uh, you know, that somebody's going to be in jeopardy, but it's only 15 minutes in. So in about six <laughs> seconds time, they're going to be fine. Or the, after the next right, yeah, jump cut. And yeah. now they're, they're cutting the story so quickly between them. I mean, the most recent series, which I saw a little bit of, was so confusing uh, because they were jumping across time and different arcs and different characters without any sense of connection. Mm. And just for the sake of keeping the energy of the show going. And, yeah. you know, what was so wonderful about the old Doctor Who, and in fact, all BBC drama, if you think about it, before they, when they were making it at Television Centre, and they still were making a little bit when I was there, tiny bit. But you can imagine, they've got Doctor Who in one, they've got Top of the Pops in the next studio, they've got all the, they, they build those physical sets, and they were basically uh, theatre productions. 
Mm. They were they were theatrical performances, but for the yeah. small screen. And mm. they would move, you know, they'd go six feet through a door and then suddenly they were on another bit of the set. Yeah. And yeah. It, it gave pace and space. I think this thing about, you know, allowing the emotions to land rather than what's currently happening in science fiction, particularly, where you just shove as much spectacle on the screen as possible. Mm. Um, yeah, it's it's it is interesting. So, did you ever like? Um, did you like Christopher Eccleston? Eccleston's. I did. I did like. Yeah. yeah. Um, Billy Piper. Yeah, I I, I enjoyed that because uh, yeah, there was a joy to it coming back for a start. I think that he took a very interesting angle that he wasn't trying to play an alien. Um, you know, he was trying to play it as straight as possible. And I think that all the doctors that have been really really good have. Um, of the, the way you do it, I think, is that you in the in the really dark bits you play it humorously, and in the uh, the bits which are frivolous, you you suddenly pretend to be serious. That makes you an alien. Tom Baker did it brilliantly, always producing right. a jelly baby when he was about to die. <laughs> that sort of thing. Um, <laughs> so uh, here's a little bit of trivia for you, Adrian. Right. Do you remember ahead. the couple of episodes? One was called the Doctor Dances, and one is called uh the empty child you know yes. with the world war ii do you remember mm-hmm. captain jack yes because yes. he did the, the other thing didn't he yeah Talks john barrowman yeah yes so i i was the voice of his ship oh, oh fantastic wow interesting wow oh, there you just go. in those two episodes yeah that's brilliant um, and yeah. so i mean and it was such a short job but it is mm. it is the job that I dine out on most because oh, I, I go, are you a Doctor Who fan? And they go, and I tell them, and they go, Oh my god, that's so cool! I mean, the it job took cool. me like fifteen minutes cool. or something. I will tell my um, boys that. That is that is super cool. That is super <laughs> yeah. cool. Wow, anyway. what a way to finish! I think um, that's yeah. a good way to finish. Yeah. Shall I give you a line? Let me see if I can remember a line. Um, the mobile communication device indicates non-com. The mobile communication device indicates non-contemporaneous life form. That was one of the lines. Brilliant. (laughs) That reminds me of what Harrison Ford said about Star Wars. You know, he sort of said to George Lucas, you can type this shit. You sure as hell can't say it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, guys, I have to to go now, but it's been such a joy speaking to you. Thank you you so much. Thank you. Really lovely. Fascinating. So, Diane, just for the the benefit of everyone listening to this, you've been hooked for this. uh, this Well, we hope so. Yeah, no, they will be. (laughs) Uh, Where can they find you and the book? Where can they find me? What you mean, like physically? You can't yeah. find me. You can't find no, me. No, no, no. Um, but you could go to my website, uh, dianeperry.com. Diane with no e, otherwise you won't get there. Dianeperry.com. Um, interested in getting in touch? Just send me an email. And um, yes, the book is called Voiceover Narration: Creating Performances from the Inside Out. Um, Adrian is holding it up to the camera now, so I don't know if you'd be able to see that. But, uh, <laughs> yes, uh, published by Bloomsbury Methuen Drama. Uh, uh, and it's available nice. everywhere, as is the audiobook. So the audiobook is available everywhere as well. So um, yes, uh, please reach out. People are so, it's funny, people go, oh, I wasn't sure if I could email you. Yes, of course. I'm, I'm not like, you know, I'm not like Tom Cruise or something. Just email me for heaven's sake, get in touch. If you have any questions, you know, if you want a consult, I do a free 20 minute Zoom consult 
And so, you know, what do you got to lose? If you're wanting coaching, if you want to learn more about these techniques and everything, just get in touch and we'll, we'll have a consult. doesn't matter what country you're in either. So I've got students all over the world. So, um, yeah, I mean, but, you know, I won't talk to you if it's the middle of the night for me. I won't be having a Zoom consult. With you. So we'll work at a, we'll work around your time zone. So brilliant. Thank you. Yeah. Well, thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Thanks, Adrian. It's been really fun. I've really enjoyed it. Almost slipped into Michael Caine during that interview. Almost. Uh, Talking of Michael Caine, Uh, we've had some news about Michael Caine. Yeah, we'll do that in a sec. But (laughs) thank you to Diane. Diane Perry's. for, for her time there and uh, I will be taking her up on that offer that she made to uh, you know perhaps an hour's consultation between you know two artists talking about the, the business artists all right well the, the Michael Caine news it's very exciting oh yesterday you, you you jabbered about it for about an hour well why not no, I didn't, no, no, it's fine so he's he's putting up a number of his personal items up for auction now Michael Caine is 88 now and uh, he and Lady Shakira uh, are moving, are downsizing from their Surrey mansion, which is 12,000 square feet, the papers tell us, and uh, need to get rid of some, some of the, the clutter. And uh, it's some clutter, believe me. I caught, it caught my eye because some of the reserve prices, or at least the uh, estimates on this auction at Bonhams, which is in March, uh, on the face of it, look quite affordable for some pretty st- astonishing Michael Caine-related items. Five pounds for a pair of worn socks? no. There are no worn socks on there, I'm afraid. But there are some Michael Caine glasses from his heyday, which I, 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 I just feel someone should... I mean, I would love them. I, that would complete the look for but me. you need them to be the same prescription as you. Uh, that, that isn't a problem. I mean, <laughs> my eyes will adjust to, to Michael's uh, levels. So Michael Caine glasses, who wouldn't want that? The thing that really caught me... And I, I, I just, I don't know, it's a bit of bling. It's just perfect. It is uh, a lighter. Uh, it's gold-plated lighter with, uh, it's jewel-encrusted with the, his initials on it in MC on this. It's a real 60s icon lighter. And that's uh, estimated between three to five hundred pounds. So it'd be great for my dad, because he's MC. No, no. Yeah, I think you're missing the point of what I'm trying to say here. <laughs> Uh, also, there are signed posters from Zulu and uh, other, other great movies like Little Chris Vile and my favourite, of course, as we've already discussed, Get Carter. And I believe there is a director's chair that he sat in while in Newcastle and Gateshead making Get Carter. We could get that for Josh. I'd love that. But also Michael Caine's desk. I want Michael Caine's desk. I would write thousands of books sitting at Michael Caine's but, desk. Do you know what the first thing that came to mind... And I'm not normally a practical person, but when you your eyes glowed with joy about Michael Caine's oh, desk, because the first thing I thought was, where are we going to put this? We're going to have to move house. We're going to move <laughs> to a 12,000 foot, square foot, sorry, mansion. I know. Let's do a house swap with Michael Caine. Yeah, that's it. You know, it's, it's still not practical. I don't think you can get a stand of stair lift on our stairs. Maybe no. you can. I don't know. Um, but uh, I, I feel concerned at 88 that he, he, he might. You could have Josh's room. We've got those grip, <laughs> but, you know, there's basically grips on our wooden stairs so that you know you don't slip over it's really uncomfortable in the morning when i come downstairs and barefoot i don't like it you know the sensation's horrible what do you mean you haven't noticed them i seriously hadn't noticed it i don't even i I can picture it i think Mm, anyway you're noticings um or lack of i'm quite hardy (laughs) yeah yeah well you're you're a sensitive soul no i have to look after my feet i'm diabetic anyway um, so that is a very exciting thing. So, uh, you know, I might just put a couple of... I haven't got any money. 
let's be honest, but Michael Caine's lighter. That has to uh, his glasses. His glasses from his movies. I think you should stick to the socks. There are no socks on offer at Bonhams. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> but he is he's got a Mark Chagall painting. But that's Yeah, yeah that's really our, in your budget. <laughs> yeah, that's slightly out of our budget. So there we go. Anyway, just saying. Uh with Valentine's Day, just thinking that, you know. You I might... thought it was March. Hang on. Well, I'll just happily wait. I mean, it's my I've birthday already got you a Valentine's June. present. Yeah, but I mean. I it... could afford his w- socks. Whatever. <laughs> Will you stop talking about Michael Caine's sweaty socks? You know, the fact is that if you, you know, anything that isn't a Michael Caine thing is going to be disappointing to me tomorrow on Valentine's tomorrow, Day. Tomorrow? It's not on offer yet. Okay. All right. Are you going to be disappointed with what you get? I'll try to hide it. I'll try to hide it. Uh, we've got uh, another mega week. So we've got an author announcement, as we as we described. We are closing in on further two signings as well. So it's all very, very exciting. Um, we also, for relaxation, have discovered the delights of Reacher. I wouldn't call it relaxation, but yes, I love Reacher. So this is the Amazon Prime adaptation of the first Lee Child novel featuring Jack Reacher. Uh, which was Killing Floor, and it's simply known as Reacher. It is, uh, you know, it was actually some of our authors who were saying, oh, I'm really into this. It is superb. It is really well done. Uh, I've not read the books. No, nor me. Which I feel, you know, in our genre, and we should really read them. But I've read The Rip-Offs by Mark Dawson. <laughs> I, I do have a couple of issues with Reacher, though, the TV adaptation. Okay, go on. The first one is when he went into the charity shop, um, there's no spoilers here. He goes to a charity shop. So does most people in, in some point in their life. And he buys a jacket and it clearly doesn't fit him. He's at, his little arms are dangling at the... Yeah. So that bothered me. And secondly, he his expression never changes. He's unreadable. Well, it, it, I mean... You are know, you saying he can't act? I, do you know what I would like to do? If I met him, I'd like to tickle his armpits and see if his face changes. It is carved from bronze, but... You know, it's a great series and a great adaptation. And funny enough, um, Lee Child was saying, I read an interview as the, the show launched, that he's gutted that he in the series, Jack Reacher moves from one you know, story like he's this. He's a littlest hobo. Yeah, he moves around the country and moves into a different community and has an impact. But the performance um, of, the, of the actress playing Roscoe, his love interest in this very first book, is so good that he wished that, she could return. She she has really, really, really knocked it out of the park. Uh, but that won't happen. I'm very worried about Roscoe. I'm not going to say why, but we're on episode, what, four? We're on, we we had, I think we did four? five yesterday. Well, we nearly did five. I fell asleep. Yeah. Um, but I am. I, I couldn't sleep last... Well, I slept, obviously, because I was tired. But then I woke up in the middle of the night worrying about Roscoe. Oh, well, that's easily done. So it, that's a good sign, though, because that means that the show has affected me. It's got in under my skin. Yeah. I'm worrying about the well, characters while I'm you know, asleep. Yeah, things have been getting under your skin quite a lot. Uh, well, that sounded wrong. Anyway, that is almost it from us. Thank you so much for joining us on the Hobcast Book Show. Thank you to Diane Perry being our guest. Thank you to Lewis Hastings, who joins us next week uh, for show 57. I have no doubt Michael Caine will appear next week. Uh, absolutely. At least one Well, Michael I think Caine. we're going to try and outbid each other for the, for the lighter. Uh, I think he might win. Because he 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 has more money than yeah. you. Well, at the moment he does, yeah, <laughs> that's for sure. Anyway, uh, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you, and uh, we are going to be adding some new features to the the Hobcast 
uh, had a great idea yesterday. But more on that uh, perhaps next week when we'll uh, reveal all. But uh, we want to thank you for joining us and remind you, of course, that we have our website, www.hobeck.net. Watch out for that author announcement this week, where you can access cheaper versions of our audiobooks, paperback versions of our books, and learn all about our authors and what we're up to. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to uh, the Hobeck TikTok page because it has been well populated yes, recently. Yes, please follow me because my videos are amazing. Yeah, it's our latest obsession, which is fantastic. And uh, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe to wherever you get your podcasts from. Every single subscription means a great deal to us. And uh, we really do appreciate your company. So thank you for joining us. From myself, Adrian Hobart. Uh, myself, Michael Kane. <laughs> Rebecca Collins. Uh, we'd like to thank you for joining us. And we wish you a wonderful, happy and creative week. Bye-bye. You've been listening to The Hobcast from Hobeck Books with Adrian Hobart and Rebecca Collins. You can find the show notes at our website, www.hobeck.net. You can also use the exclusive Hobcast discount code for any of the products at our Hobeck online store. Just enter the code HOBCAST20 for a 20% discount. Don't forget to subscribe to The Hobcast and feel free to contact us with any feedback. Until next time, remember our motto, Trad Values, Indie Spirit. Indie Spirit.